So we are actually in a series right now called The Beatitudes, where we're looking at these attitudes and what it means for us as Jesus followers to have these specific attitudes. And at first, it's important to recognize that each one of these attitudes, he starts with blessed and then he ends with an, a reward. So these people that have these attitudes, not only are they blessed, so show of hands, how many people want to be blessed? Anybody? Anybody in the crowd want to be blessed? I want to be blessed. I don't know about you. I want to be real blessed. And then he gives a reward. Anybody want a reward? Show of hands. Anybody want a reward? Everybody wants a reward, right? I can't see you because the lights are so bright. So it's just cool for me. But um, the... the the thing is, is that we, we want these things. But Jesus says, these are the attitudes, these are the kingdom ethics, these are the kingdom attitudes for if you're going to be my follower, you need to have these. And again, these fly in the face of culture. Everyone we're going to talk about and have talked about is going to pressure you. Everyone we've talked about and have talked about and are going to talk about is going to apply pressure to you. And it's going to cause you to think outside of the box. It's going to cause you to grind against culture a little bit. It's going to cause you to press against it just a little bit. But that's what, if you're a Jesus follower, that's what's expected. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, these are just really wise things. These are good things you should probably start applying. Like, I think they're really good. I mean, quite a few people think they're, they're really good and really effective. But if you're a Jesus follower, these are kingdom ethics. These are kingdom attitudes that we are simply expected to have. Now, those of you that haven't been with us, those of you that haven't been with us, uh, the historical context of this is kind of important. Um, the location of this, the Sermon on the Mount, we're not exactly sure, but the location we believe is somewhere near this area, probably here called the Horns of Hattin. And you can see the Sea of Galilee in the background, and Jesus probably went up on this right-hand side, and he sat up there, and he taught as people were gathered around him. And when the, what he would do is he would, that made a natural amphitheater to where his voice could be projected, and you could get a lot of people around that group. Now, you can see how populated it is now. It was populated back then, too. In fact, the area that it was called was the Decapolis around it, or the Decapolis, and around that area, there was 10 cities. So they would come in, and, and they would probably talk about Jesus well before he gave this sermon. We also believe the Sermon on the Mount was given probably multiple times throughout his ministry, that Matthew puts it all together at this one time because this is the time where he kind of did the most teaching, had the most people present. And, you know, Matthew is sitting around with that book like, all right, man, let's go. What are you saying? Because he's got the most people here. But the truth is he probably taught these principles over and over and over and over again all throughout his ministry because he was, a, he was essentially a traveling rabbi. Now, remember, as we begin, there is a reward associated with each one of these attitudes. And again, they're not easy. They're not simple. They're not, they're not, they're, they're simple to understand. They're hard to apply. So far we have covered blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We talked about that week one. That's talking about being humble, not being the hero of your own story. You heard me say, and this is what I believe is true. If you, right, if you are the hero of your own story, we got a problem because then you're the greatest person and the best part of the story, which is not true. Last week we did, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, in which we learned that when we're mourning, God is drawing near to us in that pain. 
And we mourn all, all kinds of things. We can mourn deaths of family members, and then we can also mourn chapters of our lives being closed. We can mourn certain people leaving our life or coming, you know, in, leaving and going somewhere else, or you can mourn a loss of a job. So we can mourn all sorts of things. And the scripture tells us that, that the Lord draws near to us. Now, the one we're going to cover today is going to be tough to understand given our society. The one we're going to talk about today is probably going to cause the most rub for you right now. It's going to be the one that you're going to be the most uncomfortable with, um, and it's, it's because of what society or culture has celebrated in the past and is currently celebrating. In fact, the one we're going to talk about today is going to cause some tension for you. And if you're a leader in any, any capacity, this is going to cause the most tension for you if you are a leader. And I encourage you not to back away and say, well, I'm not a leader, because you absolutely are. You absolutely lead something in your life. So as we look through this attitude today, I want to look at this attitude through leadership. And it is so important. Because you lead something in your life. You may not recognize it, but people look to you for influence and understanding. You don't understand the reach of your influence. You don't understand the reach that you have. But somebody is probably looking to you. For those of you that run a business, you have kids, it's obvious who's looking to you. If you're a manager in any capacity in your job, it's obvious who's looking to you. But believe it or not, we lead people all the time. We lead people all the time, whether you're at a serving team here at the church or whether you're a project manager at work. You lead people. You simply lead people. Maybe even in your family with your children and your spouse. or Maybe you're the older brother, so all your brothers and sisters, they look to you. Or you're the older sister and they all look to you. You have a position of leadership in this world some way, somehow. And how you use that and how you manage that is important. And when you take today's attitude that we're going to talk about and you take today's viewpoint on it, you're going to think this rubs right up against culture. In fact, some of you will leave here and argue and say, that doesn't make any sense. I get the Bible says it, but that part probably needs to be updated. That just doesn't make any sense. That part, I mean, come on, that part's not going to actually work in the real world, Brandon. Sure, it works in here in church. Sure, it works in here for you because you're the pastor and you don't have any problems and nobody argues or fights with you. <laughs> but the point is, is that, that it does work outside of this space. In fact, it's what Jesus expects of us. Again, if you're a Jesus follower. If you're not a Jesus follower, this is just good practice. If you don't want to follow it, you don't have to. I have no influence over your life, and this book doesn't have any influence over your life if you don't believe it anyway. But if you're a Jesus follower, you need to stop and take it in for a second. You have to stop and pause. So before everybody puts their walls up and says, no, 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 I'm not a leader. I want you to take it down. And in fact, I want you to look at your neighbor and tell them, you are a leader. Tell them that. Go ahead. Tell your neighbor that you're a leader. And the topic today is going to stretch you as a Jesus follower and as a leader. And the, the, the attitude is this. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, when you think of meekness, you automatically think of weakness. I mean, they rhyme. They must mean the same thing, right? And in fact, maybe they do. Here's the thing. The Greek word is a little different. The Greek word that's used here is praus, 
Okay, that's the best I could do. I don't speak Greek, but that's kind of the way it's supposed to sound. And it means mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit. Meek in the, is, a, is an inadequate English word. The best we could do is gentle. But really, it's a combination of all those things. It's really hard to get an actual you know, single word to describe what Jesus was saying here. And then again, what the New Testament scholars translated. Now, this doesn't mean you don't have the capability or capacity for the opposite of gentleness, you know, discipline and things like that. That's not what this is saying. This said, blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, again, when you hear inherit the earth, you think like rulers, right? Inherit the earth. They're going to run it. When you inherit, when you receive an inheritance, it belongs to who? You. When you receive an inheritance, it belongs to you. And you manage it and you, you handle it. You decide what you do with it, you know, whether it's a car or a phone or a million dollars or something like that. I'm still waiting on my rich uncle that I don't have to die and give me a million dollars. I don't know where he is, but he needs to die soon. I'm just kidding. Don't, don't, say, don't tell people the pastor said that. Anyway, the inheritance is yours when you get it. Right? And you can do whatever you want with it. And now when you hear that the meek, the gentle, will inherit the earth, you immediately think, that is not the way I see it. My culture and my world, everything I see, Brandon, hold on, everything I see is the strong inherit. In fact, in this world that Jesus is speaking into, might made right. If you were the strongest, the biggest, the baddest, then you survived. And if you weren't, you died. And Jesus comes onto the scene and he doesn't say that being strong is a bad thing, but he says when it comes to leading and when it comes to influencing people, you cannot lead with a heavy hand. You cannot lead with a my way or the highway kind of attitude. But I guarantee if I gave you the microphone, You could come up here and you could tell me people that you work with right now that have that attitude, that you don't want to spend any time with or be around, and that you hate being on their team. And when the boss is putting teams together for a project and he says, yeah, 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 you know, Saul over there, he's going to be leading, and you're like, oh, gosh, I hate working with him. Why? And then you go home and you tell your wife about it, and you're like, man, I hate working with Saul. And it's like, well, why do you hate working with Saul? He's so bad. He tells me. He doesn't give anybody anything. You say words like he's a micromanager. I hate being around him. He's so condescending. He's so arrogant. He's just, it's all about him, and everything funnels up to him. And the truth is, is that's not how we're expected to lead if we are Christians. Because if we're going to inherit the earth, then we have to behave accordingly. And this is demonstrated time and time again in Jesus's life. There are times and moments in Jesus's own life when he could have powered up. He's the son of God. Okay. If you're a Christian, you believe he's the son of God. And if he's the son of God and he has the power of God and he's performing miracles, there's times when he could just take care of a problem. Like, I don't know. Jesus goes around to go see the woman at the well, right? Like he takes the longest route to go see the woman at the well. Why did he do that? Well, because he, he had a goal. He had a reason to do it. There's so many times in Jesus's life and in his ministry where he could have powered up as the son of God. He could have powered up as God in a body and he could have just ended the conversation. Why was he arguing with religious leaders? 
He was God. And he's arguing with religious leaders. Don't you think he could just do this and make their mouths close? Why didn't he do that? Because, I mean, if, if, you, if we're honest, maybe that's how you lead. Where you're in charge, and in the meeting you're talking, and somebody begins to bring an idea or says something, and you just, no, 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 this is the way we're moving. Before they even get the opportunity to speak about it. Before they even get the opportunity to understand And Jesus, time and time again, never led that way. He never behaved that way. In fact, he behaved completely, completely different. And the best illustration of this, or the best point of this, is found in Mark's gospel. And in Mark's gospel, at this particular point that we're going to jump into, it's Mark chapter 10, Jesus has been healing, casting out demons. I mean, my man has been working, right? He's been doing the Lord's work. And he's walking around, he's doing all this stuff. So his disciples have seen him do all of these amazing things. They've seen him do all of these amazing things. And then this this scene happens. In Mark chapter 10, verse 32, it tells us they were on their way up to Jerusalem. So they were leaving. There they were in. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way because point leadership is still important. Somebody being there is still important. Somebody leading the way forward is still important. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. They were astonished because of all the works he had done. They were astonished because of how he just seemed to have dominion over dark forces that nobody really understood to that point. It seemed as though when when Jesus spoke, disease obeyed, which that scared some people. And there's this man walking around doing these things. They didn't really have a category for him. So the disciples who were closest to him, who understood his character, were just amazed at him. While the others who were kind of from a distance, they were scared because he had so much power and authority. And again, he took the 12 aside, so separated them from the rest of the disciples and told them what was going to happen to him because he's going to Jerusalem. We all know what happened at Jerusalem. He says, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, the Romans, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. He tells him the plan. He says, hey guys, here is the playbook, okay? I know I've kind of kept it a secret. I know I've said this a few times. Y'all ain't keeping up. That's okay. I'm gonna write it down. Here's the playbook. It's on a whiteboard. Take it, remember it. Here we go, right? This is it. And then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, teacher, Jesus just talked about how he's going to be murdered, how he's going to be flogged and tortured, killed, hung on a cross. This is what they have to say. We want you to do whatever we ask. Okay, now, I don't know James and John. I don't. I think they were a little socially inept in that moment. I feel as though maybe they just didn't hear him. You ever heard of selective hearing? Parents, you know what selective hearing is, right? I think maybe these disciples had selective hearing. I think just maybe they just didn't hear it. Because I don't know how you hear your master who's doing all the miracles around. I mean, he's doing all of them. He's doing all the things that the scripture said he would do to be able to be the Messiah. And then he even refers to himself as son of man, which is code for Messiah. So he refers himself that way. He's showing himself to be this person. I mean, it's all stars. I mean, stars are starting to align perfectly. And then he says, we're going up to Jerusalem. And they go, can you do for us whatever we want? 
Now, I don't want to get too much in your grill, but how often is that your only prayer to God? Can you just do what I want? God, can you, can you, can you just answer this prayer? No, 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 I'm not gonna, I'll praise you on Sunday when they turn the music on and Heather's up here dancing like, yeah, that's when I'll sing. But I'm not, I'm not praising you right now. I, you know, when, when, the, when the team's leading the music, that's when I'll worship, right? No, 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 I'll pray. Yeah, I'll say a Thanksgiving prayer and all that. I'll do that when, you know, the pastor's leading the prayer. But I'm not, you know, come on, God, just, just do whatever I want. Sorry, that, was, that one was free. Um, he continues. He said, so, so they say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Miss the entire thing. And then Jesus, because he's so gracious. I mean, right then he could have been like, are you kidding me? Are you, guys, we are going to the final chapter. We are at the crescendo of the story. We're about to go there. And you're asking me to do what you want. You ain't even the hero of the story. I'm the hero and I got to die. Like, that's what he could have said, but that's not what he said. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And this is so encouraging because it shows his character and it shows the character of our heavenly father. That even though you might have a prayer life like what I just described, his response is, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? He asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the, and the other one at your left in your glory. Now, see, here's the thing. They didn't think he was actually going to die and be raised again. They, they, they probably didn't really understand that. And you can tell that by the way they flee after he's crucified. That nobody was outside of the tomb waiting, counting one, two, three. Like nobody was, nobody was doing that. Like nobody, that didn't happen. So they probably didn't believe him or understand him when he said this. Not only that, not only that, they're asking because they're expecting him to be a military and political leader. They're thinking we're going to Jerusalem. This is it. Come on, Jesus. This is the moment when Jesus tells you guys, what's up? He's going to march in, drive the Romans out because they suck. We need them out of here. We're going to drive the Romans out. He's going to go in flipping tables in the temple and reset the temple because they, they extort us and do everything else wrong with us. But the, Jesus is going to come in. They want him to ride in the front, the, the front gate of Jerusalem, rip off his robe, and it says a big M for Messiah, and then he's flying around doing, fixing everything. That's what they want. That's not what they're going to get. That's not what he came to do. So they said, hey, when you, become, when you come into your power, when you're the king, because that's what they expected him to do, King Jesus. So when King Jesus comes into Jerusalem, hey, can, can one of us, can me, my brother James, can, can I be on your right? And then John, can he, can he, be, on your, can he be on your left? I mean, we don't, we don't want the top spot, Jesus. That's yours. But I mean, the next two, you got space, homie? Can we, can we chill? Like, for real? Like, that's what they're expecting. And that's what they want. Jesus responds to them, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? So can you drink of the cup of suffering that I am and can you be baptized in the spirit the way I am? Will you actually allow God to move in your life? And will you actually drink from the cup of suffering like what I'm going to do? So he says, can you do those things? Are you comfortable doing those things? We can, they answered, because everybody says that. Until it comes time to drink of the cup, and then we don't like that. That's a different sermon for a different day. And Jesus said to them, you know what? You will drink the cup that I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. You will be able to do those things. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. 
These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. But Jesus looks at them and says, look, guys, my father makes those decisions. I don't. Jesus like, I'm here for one reason. Okay, I'm here to die for your sins. That's what I'm here for. I'm on a mission and I'm not going to get distracted pulling in any direction. So if you want to sit at my left and right hand, bravo, that's excellent. You need to take it up with the big guy because I can't help you. That's what he says. He says, that's not for me to grant. That's for my heavenly father to decide. He has prepared those places already. That's above, <laughs> for lack of a better phrase, it's above his pay grade. He's like, I'm here doing something different. That's what my heavenly father's got that planned out already. And then when the other 10 heard this, they became indignant with James and John. Of course they did, not because they're super righteous, not because they sat around and said, you know what, how could you? He's going to die. They didn't, that wasn't why. They were frustrated because they were like, why didn't we ask him first? Gosh, man, come on, Peter, you always say stupid stuff. Why didn't you ask? Right? Jesus called, so they were indignant. Then Jesus called them all together because he's not going to allow any division to step in. He calls them all together. And he wants to remind them what leadership actually looks like because that's what James and John decided they were going to be. We want to be leaders, Jesus. He's like, don't you worry. You guys are going to be leaders, all right. But it ain't going to be the way you think. It's not going to function the way you expect it to function. It's not going to behave the way you expect it to behave. And so he gathers his disciples. And he's like, hey, gather around, guys. I got a leadership lesson I want to teach you. Hey, everybody, come here. James, John, Peter, come on. Just gather around. Pay attention. This is really important. And he gathers their attention. He said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, meaning the Romans and the Greeks, they, so the, and every one of them, the minute Jesus said that, all of them would have been like, yeah, man, we hate those people. I hate dealing with the Romans. And when I got to go talk to, to them to do the taxes, and I mean, and Matthew's here, so I'm not a big fan of him, but you know, he's, he's changed, so he's hanging out with us. Like, I hate dealing with the Romans, Jesus. Yeah, they, they're, they're awful. They're terrible. And he's like, yeah, yeah, so you know the Gentiles, right? The Gentile leaders, they, they lord it over them. You know those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They lord over them. They, they rule over them. And the high officials exercise authority over them. That it's all about them. You recognize how things work right now, guys. You pay attention. There's the, you know, the Roman prefect and, you know, he's in charge and then the Roman centurion. You know, you guys see how that hierarchy works and it really all kind of funnels up. It all kind of points to the point leader that in fact, all the resources and everything else are really in this region going to Pilate or in this region going to, you know, even in the temple system. You guys know how it works. It's all about the main leader. It's all about the CEO. It's all about the sergeant major. It's all about the boss. It's all about the sheriff. You know, it's, it's, it's all about the leader of the company. It's all about the leader of the organization. You guys know how that works, right? They all look around, they nod, they go, yeah, we know how that works. But yeah, we know they lord over people. They command and demand things from them. Jesus says, not so with you. That's not how this kingdom runs. That's not how this is going to work. Instead, whoever wants to be, and this is important, if you have your Bibles, you should highlight this. If you lead anything, and I've already told you, you all lead something, so you should all highlight this. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you 
Anybody want to be great? I know I do. I want to be great. I especially want God to think I'm great. It's like, okay, well, if you want to be great, if you want to be great, you, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. This is my favorite meme in the entire world. Because Jesus is on the basketball court serving up some people. You guys ever seen that meme on social media? It's my favorite. Anyway. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. To give his life as a ransom for many. And he looks at his followers who are expecting him to come in and be the hero, who are expecting him to come in and be the general and mount forces and get everything moving. And they are trying to treat him the way other leaders have been treated, which is you're the most powerful. You have the most influence. We're going to give you everything. It all points to you. All resources funnel up to you, Jesus. It's all that matters. And Jesus says, hold on a second. That's not how the kingdom is going to work. And the fact that you want to sit at my left and right hand means you don't understand that that's not how this is working. The fact that you want to sit at my left and right hand, you don't understand when I say cup of suffering, you don't understand you can drink from that cup. You don't understand what it means to actually be a leader in this new kingdom. It's going to look completely, completely different. Jesus says, my kingdom, my kingdom is going to be characterized by servant leaders. Servant leaders. Those who seem gentle or meek, that's what's going to be characterized by my kingdom. They will inherit the earth, not the aggressive, the loud, the charismatic. The servants, they will be the ones to inherit the earth. And before, it was all about resources and pressing into the point leader. Jesus says, no, that's not the way it works. That's not the way things are going to behave. And again, this culture he's speaking into, that didn't make any sense. The strong dominated the weak. That's what happens. And in the business world today, those of you that have been part of it, you understand that concept. The strong dominate the weak. It happens all the time. You've been in a meeting before where your leadership has hijacked the meeting. You didn't get to say anything. Nobody asked your opinion or thoughts on anything, even though you're the project manager, but they're the lead and the point leader for the entire organization. They didn't care what you have to say. They're not interested in it. They want to come in, run their mouth, close the laptop, call it good. You've experienced those types of leaders before. You've experienced those types of leaders that micromanage and insert themselves where they don't always need to be. You've been around those people before. You've been around those leaders that you just can't stand to exist with, let alone work on a project with. And maybe you've experienced these people in your families too. You know, the grandma or grandpa that just doesn't give you any space. They don't lead with grace. They lead with judgment. They make you feel bad about your life decisions. Well, when are you going to get married? I'm 20, mom. Give me a break, right? Those people that you experience that you avoid every chance you get. Those people, those leaders, those people that kind of lead the way forward like that. That's not what it's going to be. And this translates to leadership of every kind. As a leader, a meek, a gentle leader is somebody who doesn't power up, 
but instead empowers. You don't power up if you're a meek and gentle leader. And if you're a leader the way Christ expects us to lead, if we're going to be the way Jesus said, not so with you. Those people, those people, they empower. They don't take power. They empower. And it totally changes the narrative. And again, many organizations in the world have top-down leadership and they argue this is the way it's going to go. And many of you are going to walk away from here and go, that's really great, Brandon. That's, you know, that's great. That's a good sermon because I know you guys say that every Sunday. But like, you're going to say, okay, that was really good, but that's just not going to work. I mean, I'm sure that works in somebody's context. It certainly works in yours, Brandon, because no pastors never disagree. Pastors never have any problems, right? None of that stuff exists for you. But like in my organization, Brandon, that's not going to work. That's just simply not going to work. What if I told you that it did? What if I told you that it could? If you shift your mentality from how does it help me, and it's all about me, shift your attitude instead to how can I help? As the point leader, if you're going to be one of those not so with you Leaders that Jesus talks about, one of those gentle leaders, not weak, not one that gets run over, not one that gets trampled on. That's not what Jesus says. He just says you're not going to lord over people. And if you want to inherit the earth, you can't lord over the people I've placed under your charge. You have to recognize that your leadership is a stewardship. And you're in a position to leverage your power, your influence, your authority, your resources to help those around you. So the question that we should ask is, how can I help? Many of you are going to walk out of here and argue that it's weak. Many of you are going to walk out of here and argue that it's not going to work. Many of you are going to brush it off and say, that's great. That's one of those Bible things that just never quite made any sense. But I have a real world application of this. When I was in the Marine Corps, uh, I had a sergeant when I was a private, so brand spanking new, in Washington, D.C., and uh, so his name was Sergeant Humphreys at the time. He's like a, he's, a, he's higher than a gunny now. He's like a master guns. So um, he, 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 was, he was in the infantry, and I mean, he was an 0311, excellent leader, war hero, fought in Fallujah, so he's a big deal. So this is back in 2008, and he's like fighting, like he just fought in Fallujah not too many years ago, and it's like, wow, like this is one of those people. This is one of those leaders, one of those war heroes. Like, that's amazing. Then in Phantom Fury, he was distinguished warrior, Brand new, and I was a brand new Marine, 0311, stuck on general security duty, which was awful. We had to spend 12 hours standing on our feet. You couldn't lean. You would get, I'm not making this up. I promise I'm not making this up. You would get a page 11 if you lean like this while you were on duty up in Washington, D.C. So if you see any of those sorry suckers standing out in front of the barracks, give them a high five because their life sucks real bad. I'm just telling you. If you see one, you should tell them thank you or just add a boy. Um, but no one cared about the junior Marines at all. I mean, we were privates. Those of you that have been in the military or any type of, of government, you understand. <laughs> nobody cares about the bottom, you know, you down on the bottom, ain't nobody care. Nobody cares at all. 
And I would stand guard and I remember watching the generals come out and go to the bars and get smashed and come back. And I'm stuck out there standing. I would see them come in and they would have, you know, meals and all this different stuff. And I remember being stuck standing. And the most exciting times I had was when a drunk person from the bar wanted to come over and pick, pick a fight with the Marines, which is never a good decision whatsoever. And it always worked out in our favor. But that was a boring, exhausting life. And nobody cared about the guys on the guard shift. No one, except Sergeant Humphreys. He was our squad leader. And see, while we were standing in blues, he got to roll around in camis, which is the digital uniform that we get to roll around. They're like pajamas if you wear them in nice enough. They're really comfy to wear. If you don't know, the blues uniform is the most uncomfortable thing you can be in outside of probably like the Iron Maiden torture device they come up with in the medieval times. Okay, it's very uncomfortable. Then you put a police belt on top of it. No bueno. So we're standing on these guards and Sergeant Humphrey, a sergeant in the United States Marine Corps that fought in Iraq and picked up pieces of his friend's bodies in Iraq would come and relieve a private first class or a private on duty so we could go eat chow. And you go, well, that's what he's expected to do. No, it wasn't. He had react Marines. He had extra Marines he could send to the different guard posts. And he said, no, 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 I'm going to lead by example. I'm going to eat last. That was expected in the Marine Corps. And he would take it a step further and he would go and relieve us. And if any of us had to make a head call, which is it's Marine talk for going to the bathroom, if any of us had to go to the bathroom, we'd radio over. And if, hey, if the reacts were busy or there was something going on or they just didn't have enough guys on duty, you were stuck. Unless Sergeant Humphreys was there. If he was there, he would come out a sergeant in the United States Marine Corps will come out and relieve a private so that I could go to the bathroom. It was, and there were times that he didn't get chow. Food, sorry, I translated back into the Marine Corps. Give me a second. Food. There were times that he didn't get to eat lunch or dinner because he was relieving and making sure all of his Marines ate first. There were times that when we would finish parades, you know, those big goofy parades up there at the silent drill team and all that stuff. We were the guards. We're the suckers that stuck out there that life sucks real bad for in our blues. He's out there and he would change out of his uniform last. He would relieve. And I watched other squad leaders. I watched other sergeants and corporals go around and they would be the first to change out of that uncomfortable uniform. He would be the last. He would go stand the posts with our Marines and relieve them to go change because he put those people he led first. He led completely different. He didn't ridicule us. He didn't scream at us. The detail our detail, our squad, didn't run like the others. We ran better. We were tighter knit. We were more effective. And we backed our sergeant everywhere he went because you know why? We knew he had us and we could trust him. And we knew that if he was doing something that just kind of made our lives harder, he did everything he could to alleviate some of the pain. And it was completely unheard of at least to my knowledge, to have a sergeant in the Marine Corps lead that way.
because I'd see him lead one way and then the very next day I'd work with a different guy and help another squad and that guy didn't lead that way. He ate first. Or maybe he ate last, but he just sat down in the post three and just watched and waited. He wouldn't come relieve you. He wouldn't take care of you. He wouldn't make sure you had everything you need. He wouldn't bring you bottles of water and stuff on post. He wouldn't bring you a cup of coffee in the middle of the night. He wouldn't do any of those things. And I've met, worked with tons of guys like that. Now, I learned that. And I adopted that type of leadership. And I went into the fleet and the fleet marine force and deployed to Afghanistan. That's the type of leadership that I had. And I, I tried my best to emulate and tried my best to show and behave in that way. And our squad was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. I mean, we beat everybody in squad comps. It was awesome. And we dominated, and it was great. We got all the best missions. Like, it was just, it was, it was, it was great. But then, and this is the issue as a leader, and this is why the first thing we talked about was so important. I let it go to my head. I let it become a little bit too much. And I started to think I was the only reason that this squad was that good. So they moved me to another platoon because, you know, when you come back from deployments, they shuffle everything up, came back from that deployment. We're rock stars, flip the platoons. Now I'm in charge of a totally different platoon. And I started to lead that way. But then things started to go to my head because I was a war veteran. I was getting these young guys in. I was teaching them all the stuff I knew. I had war stories now. And I'm going in and talking to all these guys, handling this, and little did I know that my ego was getting bigger and bigger and bigger to the point when I figured that I was the most important. And then I started to lead exactly like those other guys. I started to lead, in fact, exactly how the military tells you to lead. Like, that's how I started to lead. That's how I started to behave. That's how I started to act. And then after that, we saw the performance of the platoon go down. Over and over again. We saw fighting amongst the squads. Arguments and division. And it was because we weren't leading the right way. Me or the other guys. We just weren't. I tried it the other way. And when I recognized, I got, I got sat down real hard. I mean, I was a terrible leader. And those of you that are part of the military government, you know what a command climate survey is. Well, they did a command climate survey for our unit, and they do them every so often. And they came back and they said, you know, hey, Sergeant Woodard, you got some bad reviews. I was like, of course I did, stupid privates. And they said, yeah, 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 except um, there's 13 of them. And I was like, wow. You know how many people were in my squad? Thirteen. When I led the way culture wanted me to lead, I was the worst leader in the entire battalion. But unbeknownst to me, when I led the way Jesus calls us to lead, I was one of the best leaders. It's not because of my skill set. It's because of what you do with it. And when I did it the wrong way, it was evident. So when the correction came, I was like, that sucks. That hurts. That's right in the gut. And then I go to my next unit, 
and flip it back. And I said, I'm not going to be that kind of leader anymore. That, I know that's what they praise and what they want to see and all that jazz. You know, that's what they glorify. Those are the sergeant majors and master guns. Those really hard to get along with, can't stand people. Like that's, I know, no, no, I know that's what it is, but that's not the way I'm going to behave. I know that that's what society and culture praises. I know that's what's, you know, demonstrated in the movies. I know that's what people write books about. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to lead that way. In fact, I'm going to lead different. And I didn't know it was a Jesus way of leading until I started to read the book. And I tried it the way society tells us to do it. And it didn't work. But when I tried it the way Jesus told us to do it, it worked. So here is my point. You're going to walk out of here and you're going to think, or you're going to feel, or you might feel like, it's not possible for me to lead that way. I'm telling you, in an organization, this responsibility was putting bullets between eyeballs. You can lead that way. You absolutely can lead the way Jesus calls us to lead. Your organization is not that much different. Your situation is not that much different. That doesn't mean you don't discipline people. That doesn't mean you don't lead in the difficult times. It simply means, it simply means that you're not going to lead where it's all about you. That instead of, hey, how can you help me? The attitude is going to be, how can I help? How can I leverage my position, my influence, my authority, my resources to make sure that you can accomplish that project? To make sure that you are the most successful? To make sure that you guys in your department, in your branch, is the best? And you look at your kids and say, how can I leverage my resources, everything I have, my power, my influence, all that, to make your life better? How can I do that? And that is what it means to be a leader like what Jesus describes. Because he looks at his disciples and he says, not so with you. They lord it over people. You don't do that. You're a gentle leader. And you, when you behave that way, you will inherit the earth. So how different, let me just ask you this question and then we'll close. How different would your professional career be if your boss led like that? If your boss led with a, hey, how can I help you get that mission done? If your boss led with a, hey, how can I help you, given my resources, my influence, my power, how can I help you get into that new market? How can I help you accomplish that project? Do you need me to get in touch with logistics? Do you need me to get in touch with the admin? Do you need me to get in touch with this other company that could help us out here? What do you need me to do as the point leader that carries weight, that has all these different things, that God has given us the ability to have? What can I do to benefit you? Not come demand, you know, you got to come and talk to me and it's, these are my people and my way of doing it, my way or the highway. Not that kind of guy, not that kind of gal, but the kind that comes in and says, hey, how, how can I help you accomplish that? How, how can I leverage my position, my power, my influence, my time to make you more successful in that area? How can I do that? And if you were to do that, you would see changes in your business. You would see changes in your life. You see changes in your marriage and with your kids. Because when people know that you are for them, they'll do things for you. And they'll care about you. And they'll be there when you need them. 
but you have to be for them. And Jesus says, we don't lord over people. That's not how we lead. We don't lord over. That's not what we do. Because blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So what kind of leader are you going to be? What kind of leader are you going to be? Are you going to be, it's all about me, my position, my authority, my power, all that stuff? Or are you going to be a how can I help you kind of leader? Because if you do, Jesus tells us, if you're one of those gentle people, you will inherit the earth. I think that that's what he means when Christian leaders step into those roles behave the way he taught us, we'll begin to see the world change. So, with that, let's pray. Father.